0: Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1 and also Matthew chapter 1. We'll be flipping back and forth there as we look at a message today entitled, How Christmas Conquers Fear. The year was 1943 and the citizens of Great Britain had already been fighting Hitler's armies for three years. London had almost been bombed back into the Stone Age because of the German Luftwaffe's relentless raids. For two days, on March 1st and March 2nd, the British planes attacked Berlin. And on the evening of March the 3rd, Londoners were fearful of a German counterattack. And so at 8.17 p.m., bomb raid sirens screamed Throughout the air above London, giant spotlights were turned on and it was thought that German planes had now entered British airspace. Citizens began to panic as they thought they heard a whirling noise, something similar to that of falling bombs. Throngs in the street then began to scream, They're starting to attack us. Everyone looked above for the enemy aircraft. The fact that they didn't see any did not stop the hysteria. And so the mob raced toward the Benthal Green Underground Station, an underground tube, if you will, where the train system ran. That's where more than 500 citizens had already gathered to take shelter. And when they gathered, a woman who was carrying a baby slipped as she went down the stairs leading to the station, and her stumble caused a domino effect. And within seconds, hundreds of horrified people were piled up like dirty laundry in a basket. The chaos lasted less than 15 minutes, but the disentangling of bodies took until midnight, and in the end, 173 people died in that terrible stampede. And here's the great irony of that tragedy. This was the worst loss of civilian life in London during World War II. Not one bomb was dropped, and not one German plane flew over the city. You see, the killer that night was fear. And I would say to you today that fear loves a good stampede, doesn't it? And if you allow it, fear uncontrolled will run roughshod over your mind. It will cause panic, anxiety, and many sleepless nights. If you turn on the news, I think it's very clear that fear pays the bills for the media. And in this year of 2020, we might say that fear was at an epidemic level. COVID-19 caused many to fear and hunker down. Then there were the rioting mobs in the streets who incited fear. And of course, there was the election this year that if the right candidate wasn't put in office, then the fear was that the nation would soon implode. I like what Christian author Neil Anderson wrote about the subject of fear. Listen to what he said. He said, quote, Fear is a thief. It erodes our faith plunders our hope, steals our freedom, and takes away the joy of living the abundant life in Christ. Phobias, he said, are like the coils of a snake. The more we give in to them, the tighter they squeeze. Tired of fighting, we succumb to the temptation and surrender to our fears. But what seems like an easy way out becomes, in reality, a prison of unbelief, a fortress of fear, that holds us captive. Now, living in fear is an exhausting life. And that's why I think that the hope, the love, the joy, and especially the peace of Christmas is needed today, now more than ever. Oh, brother, if we ever needed the peace that passes understanding, the Prince of Peace to be in our lives, it would be right now. The fact that that God entered our cruel world as a helpless baby, I believe, should replace our chaos with calm. And the message of Christ's coming should be able to untangle us from being tied up in the knots of Satan's fear tactics. In fact, you might say that Christmas can change our fear knots, K-N-O-T-S, into fear knots, N-O-T-S. Now, God encourages His people to fear not. In fact, He commands us 365 times in the Scriptures not to fear. That's one for every day of the year. Now, if you read through the Nativity story, which we well know by now, in Matthew and in Luke, you'll find that phrase, fear not, appears four times. And... In the message today, I want to show you how I believe Christmas conquers fear. And we're going to focus on these fear-nots and the truths that God gave these characters, Zachariah, Joseph, Mary, and the shepherds. So, how Christmas conquers fear. If you're taking notes, here's the first way. Number one, we should fear not Because God still answers prayers. Fear not, God still answers prayer. And if you have your Bible in Luke chapter 1, look with me at verse 11 and we'll begin reading right there. The Bible says, "...and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense." And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer, there it is, has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, there are two miracle births in the Gospel of Luke. Of course, there is Jesus, who is virgin-born by Mary. But months before that, there was John the Baptist, who was born of Elizabeth, Mary's relative, whom we are told in this passage a little earlier, was not only barren, but her biological clock had run out. And now Zechariah the father is told that they will bear a son, And John the Baptist will be his name. He will be significant because he will be the forerunner who will prepare the way for the Messiah. In fact, John the Baptist will break that 400-year period of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. Now, as you read this text, you kind of have to put A and Z together, but... John's parents, Elizabeth and Zacharias, apparently from this text had prayed for many years that God would give them a son because the angel says, your prayer has been heard. Now, God had not granted the answer to that until this miraculous day when Zacharias entered the temple to carry out his priestly duty. And we read there that he was offering incense on the altar. It's interesting, incense on the altar was a supposed to be a symbolic picture of the prayers of God's people and the praise of God's people wafting upward to the heaven. So in the process of doing this, Zechariah gets an angelic message that his prayer has been heard and that he shouldn't fear. Zechariah, by the way, was one of 18,000 priests who served two weeks out of the year. They had him on a rotation. And it was Zechariah's time. And the offering, the incense, according to the law, was something that could only be done once in a lifetime for a man like Zachariah. So on this monumental day, he receives the biggest news of his life that, hey, Zach, God has answered your prayers. You're going to be a dad. Congratulations. Now think of this, friend. Zacharias had served God year after year and despite not having his most passionate prayer answered. Let me ask you a question this morning. Would you serve God faithfully even for year after year? He is silent and it seems as if the heavens have turned to brass and God has forgotten you. Zacharias did. Think about those decades of disappointment now as an old man. That disappointment that hung over his household year after year. And what was the great fear in his heart? i tell you what the great fear is. It's every minister's fear who serves in an out-of-the-way place, who thinks that his ministry doesn't matter. God, you've forgotten me down here. Lord, I prayed for this and for you to do this in my church and for you to move this way in that person's life. And you serve year after year, and it doesn't seem as if God is up to speed with where you want Him to be. And the fear that creeps into your heart is, oh my goodness, God has forgotten me. You think Zacharias ever thought that? I'm sure he did. But you know what I learned from this? That my faithfulness to God is not dependent on life circumstances. And the reason why God made Elizabeth and Zacharias wait so long to have that prayer answered is because they didn't have the big picture. You see, John wasn't just an ordinary child. He was going to play an extraordinary part in God's salvation drama as the forerunner leading up to Christ. And all of that had to be precisely choreographed as Paul said in Galatians 4:4, in the fullness of time, it had to be synchronized with the birth of Jesus. They didn't have the big picture, but God did. And the angel let him know that the time had come. So think about that, friend. If right now, if you are currently in a season of waiting, what are you waiting for God to do? in your situation are you waiting for that door to open you're waiting for that special mate you're waiting for that prayer to be answered or for that loved one who you have prayed for waiting for them to be saved and come to christ well friend don't fear that god has forgotten you don't fear that your prayer is somewhere got lost in the stratosphere. Sometimes God makes us wait because we don't have the big picture and we have to wait on His providential plan to unfold. So I'd say to you today that a waiting season is not a wasted season. In the Meantime, God is preparing up faith in your heart and hope in your heart. And friend, God loves us too much to answer our prayers at any other time than the right time. He's never late. He's never early. He's on time every time. He's an on-time God. Amen? Think about this, friend. If we knew everything that God knows, then we would answer our prayers exactly the way that He does. (laughs) Forrest Zander was a man who taught me a little bit of something about this. He was a missionary pilot in Peru, Ecuador, and Colombia for 20 years. He served with the Wycliffe, Bible translators, he wrote a book about his experience called The Faithfulness Reaches to the Skies. In that book, this missionary pilot talked about landing on a remote airstrip that was so muddy that his plane sunk in the mire up to its axles. I mean, he was in the middle of nowhere, stuck. There was no safe way to take off again with such a short runway and nothing but mud. Darkness was approaching, he said, and he had to do something. And at that point, all he could offer up was a two-word prayer. Lord, help. (laughs) You ever been there before? Caitlin left me alone with the kids a few days ago, and it was just me and them, and I offered up a prayer like that. Lord, help! Help me not to kill these children. But as Forrest Xander lifted up his head for prayer, he noticed a black rain cloud barreling toward him. As the storm approached, the wind began to blow, and the wind provided the lift that he needed for his wings. So the wheels began to plow through the mud. Aided by the strong headwinds, the plane suddenly broke free. Here's what he wrote about that experience. Listen to this, this is so profound. He said, When I thought God had forgotten me in the middle of the jungle... I learned how incredible that sometimes he uses storms to help us. I'm glad, he said, that we serve a God who can make a way for us even when we're stuck up to the axles in mud. Prayer, he said, provides the lift that we need to get out of life's pits. And if God has ever lifted you up from that place where you were stuck, just like Zachariah and Elizabeth were stuck, you know that there's no need to fear because God is still on the throne. He's still hearing prayers and he still knows how to answer them in such a way that man can take no credit and only God gets the glory. Fear not, God still answers prayers. Then, number two, I want you to see this today in the Gospel of Matthew. Fear not, God still has a plan. Fear not, God still has a plan. Saying, Joseph son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Joseph is our unsung hero in the background of the Christmas story. He's a man of few words. In fact, no words because the Bible doesn't record one thing that he said during this whole ordeal You might say Joseph was a typical man, the strong, silent type because he lets all of his actions do the talking for him. Joseph seems like a stoic character here in our text, but I can tell you as a man, if I was in his position, knowing that I was about to bring a child into the world and I didn't know how that child had gotten here, I would be a cauldron of emotion. And certainly he was too when he learned of Mary's unexpected pregnancy, no doubt. Think of what he felt when Mary first broke the news before the angel came. Don't you think he felt betrayed? How could you do this? How could he believe her story? He was confused. I thought you loved me. I thought we had this all planned out. A white picket fence and a happy little home and a family. Mary, what have you done? Yes, even fear creeped into his heart, right? Because according to the Jewish law, if, if people didn't believe Mary's story, which they were likely not to do, she could be put to death. And what about his reputation? What would people say? What would people believe? That either Mary cheated on him or that they got together before the time was right. And this was a child born out of wedlock. I love the way Bible commentator Philip Keller imagined Joseph's dilemma. Put yourself in his sandals for a moment. He said, quote, Cruel, piercing questions raced through Joseph's mind. He was in the agony of indecision. He wanted to believe Mary, but how could he deny the obvious? She must have been unfaithful. What would the people of Nazareth think? Oh, how the tongues would tattle now. On the night he finally settled to divorce her, imagine him tossing and turning in his bed of torment. Then an angelic messenger came to him. Don't throw her away, Joseph. Don't discard this woman. What's happening inside her womb? You you can't understand it, but trust me, it's of God. Take her as your own. Joseph obeyed, he said, despite the wagging tongues despite the sneering jests of the neighbors, and despite what taking her on would mean to his good name. This took the highest caliber of courage. And Joseph, he said, was more responsive to what God said than what the people of Nazareth said. Wow. So Joseph's response here in our message is a challenge to you and I today. To not be afraid when it seems like life doesn't make sense. Fear not, God still has a plan. You may not understand it all. It may not add up in your mind. It may be disappointing at first, confusing and baffling to you because it wasn't on your agenda. But fear not, God still has a plan that He's working. And if we're honest to ourselves today, there are many believers who are afraid Afraid to say yes to God. Because what that might mean for their lives. We're afraid of the cost. God, I I can't do this. Look at what it will do to my life. My finances. My family. We're afraid of what others think. Lord, I I can't witness to that person. They'll think that I'm some weird Bible-thumping Baptist. We're afraid of... Saying yes to God, and that it might take us out of our comfort zone and into an uncharted territory that we've never been before. But I'm telling you, that's the message of Christmas. God had a plan. A lot of what the saying says, the old time saying, "When we can't trace God's hand, we can trust God's heart." And God's plan is good, even when it doesn't feel good. Corey Tin Boom was a lady who knew about this. I've told you about her before, but her and her sister were captured by the Nazis because her family helped hide the Jews in their attic as the Nazis came to hunt them down. But in one of her memoirs, Corey Ten Boom remembers the worst Christmas of her life. You think your Christmas is bad because you can't gather with family members? It was the Christmas of 1944. She spent that year, Christmas, in Ravensbrook concentration camp. One of Corey's jobs in that camp was to help dispose of dead bodies. Corey said that on Christmas Eve, she came upon a little girl who'd been thrown out with the corpses and left to die. The girl was still alive. As Corey neared her, she cried out, Mommy, Mommy! Come to Ollie. Ollie, the little girl, was about 10 or 12 years old, Corey thought. She was emaciated. She was bandaged up from what appeared to be a botched surgery that the doctors had done on her. Corey wrapped Ollie up and spent a long night comforting her. Corey told Ollie the Christmas story as she held her in her arms. How Jesus came as a baby how He loved us and died for us and ultimately went to the cross to take our place, how He rose from the grave and gave us hope beyond how He's preparing a wonderful home for us in heaven right now. That night before Ollie closed her eyes forever, she prayed a simple prayer that Jesus would save her. As Ollie concluded her simple prayer, Corey said that the little girl gave this prayer up. Thank you, Jesus, for showing me the way to heaven and reflecting on that night. Here's what Corey Tim Boom wrote about that. She said, It was then that I knew why I had to spend Christmas in Ravensbrook. God sent me to the very gates of hell, she said, and somehow in the wonder-working providence of God, I learned that God still has a plan. You don't have to fear today Because God has a plan and He's inscribed Romans 8.28 over each of our lives. All things work together for good. They may not be good, but in the recipe and the formula of God, He can take the evil and He can take the unexpected and He can take those things that we think are too big. God can work it out. He's able to take a disappointment and make it into a divine appointment. God's plan may not be your first choice, but when you get some hindsight and you look back on it, you can say, Oh, God, that was the best choice after all. So the angel came to Joseph and said, Hey, don't fear. It's going to be all right. This is part of God's plan. Fear not today. God has a plan. Fear not. God is still answering prayers. And then also flip over to Luke chapter 1 again. I want you to see the next one. Fear not, God is still powerful. We need to hear that this year. Fear not, God is still powerful. Luke chapter 1 verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Here it is again. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, let's say it together, Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. It's not hard to understand why Mary would have been fearful at this appearance of the angel. I mean, her whole life was being interrupted and turned upside down. When she told Joseph this news, he would be heartbroken. Not to mention her reputation would be trashed. And by the way, this was her first pregnancy. And all of you mamas can remember, go back to that time when the test came back positive and you were filled with joy, but also great fear. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? When she pressed the angel Gabriel for details, he didn't really divulge much of the plan of God, did he? He just said, don't be afraid. You're the chosen one, and the one that's going to come from your womb is is going to be Jesus, the Savior of all mankind. You see, Mary, all she could do at this moment was trust the power of God. That's a tall order for a 15-year-old, 16-year-old. If you think about it, the supernatural work of God that took place in Mary's womb is probably one of the most low-key and quiet miracles in all of the Bible. Think about it. When you hear that word miracle, you think of fire falling from the sky. You think of the earth shaking and walls crumbling down. When you hear miracle, you think of parting of the Red Sea. Or you think about the healing of a miraculous disease at the touch of God. But the virgin birth was unique. There would be none of that associated with this conception. It was a miracle nine months in the making. And the angel tells Mary, Mary, just trust in the power of God to make this happen. The great Christian apologist C.S. Lewis, he wrote this, He said, quote, A slow miracle is no easier to perform than an instant one. But a slow miracle is harder to recognize because it involves a series of events more or less unremarkable in themselves that lead to a supernatural outcome. For a long time, the only one who was privy to this information was Mary. She was the only one that knew about what God was doing in the world. A little teenage Jewish girl. Think about it. She gets up one morning and she's dizzy headed. She has that first bout of morning sickness and there was no Dramamine. Nobody to run to the store like I had to do with Caitlin and get her watermelon. and Fresh fruit. Even though it was out of season, I got to have that fruit. Nobody to do that for Mary. And then it got to the point where she couldn't hide her secret any longer. Her belly started to pooch. And then there was that first kick when she was with Elizabeth. And here's what I want you to know, friend. Here's the lesson. God's power working in our lives doesn't have to be something spectacular. It's not the size of the spectacle of that miracle that demonstrates God's power. Some miracles are subtle, they're intimate, and they're hidden from the view of most of the world because the rest of the world isn't paying attention to what God is doing with His people. God works invisibly and gradually and quietly. I can attest to this. I can stand before you today as a witness Of the power of God in this place. I've already told you before that 2020, boy has it taken a toll on churches and pastors. I'm reading reports that pastors are quitting left and right. Churches are closing their doors. It's been too hard on them. And those churches that were already on life support just threw up their hands and said we can't can't make it. And you know what happened here. From March 15th to May 24th for 10 weeks, we were closed. Well, we were closed to open public worship because we didn't know what we were dealing with in this awful virus. There were times, I'm telling you, preaching to an empty church and a camera, (laughs) you feel like giving up. The enemy creeps in and tells you, you won't make it, brother. Brother nobody's coming back after this you won't recover but you know I've learned something about God you tell him your problems you tell him how hard it is you cry all your tears and you say God I'm giving up and he'll wake you up in the middle of the night and said I'm not done with you yet God won't let you quit so easily so when we open back up you know we claimed 2 Timothy 1.7 God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind and we made the determination yes, even in our staff meeting and our deacons meeting that we were just going to serve God one day at a time and we were going to put our fear below our faith and we were just going to trust God and I'm telling you yes, I got wagging tongues yes, I got criticism. Yes, I had people say, you're being reckless doing all that you're doing, having DBS and doing basketball camp and serving meals once a week. Are you foolish? Aren't you afraid that you're going to be a super spreader? I dealt with all that. But you know what? We covered this campus in prayer, didn't we, Brother Clifford? You prayed, and I prayed, and I'm telling you today, <laughs> that I saw the power of God move here in this place. As difficult a year as this was, God prospered His church, yes, even in a pandemic. And I'm telling you, even through our meager efforts, even being shut down for three months, we saw a lot of kids make professions of faith in the events that we had. And we baptized five this year. You take a black eye, devil. And on top of that, on top of that, God just started sending us people. People started coming on Wednesday. And people started coming on Sunday. And it was the craziest thing. How did you hear about us? Well, we started watching you on Facebook. Or you were the only church that was open. And I'm telling you, that God began to move. Brother Michael could stand up and give a testimony of how his youth group expanded just because we had VBS. Amen? I mean, you're taking a winter camp, brother. 17! Somebody give God praise today. I'm telling you, the power of God in this place. And oh, some of the services that we had. Oh, didn't you need the rich touch of the Holy Spirit to get you through this year? And when you wanted to give up and you were dragging, coming into this church, you were saying, God, you've got to meet my need today. I can't take one more day. And God came down and filled your little wagon, did he not? I'm telling you, don't fear. God is still powerful. He's still working. And I may wake up tomorrow with COVID-19, but I'm going to praise Jesus every single day on my way to heaven. Because let me remind you that my Jesus is the one who walks among the candlestands and he knows how to keep the light burning in his little church houses. Friend, you don't have to fear today. Oh, I'm going to preach for just a little bit if it's all right with you. Don't fear, because God is just as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago when He touched the little womb of a Jewish girl and said, I've got something for you, Mary. You're going to bring the Messiah into this world. Hey, He still answers prayer. He still heals sick bodies. He still knows how to stretch your money and make your ends meet. He's still saving souls. And He knows how to do signs and wonders. Oh my goodness. Christmas happened to an unknown couple in a backwater city of the Roman Empire The entrance of the Son of God brought no fanfare from the rich and powerful. And yet, God was working in all of it. Invisibly, quietly, powerfully. Listen, friend. With God, unknown doesn't mean unimportant. With God, small doesn't mean insignificant. With God, poor doesn't mean powerless. I'm telling you, my church may be small... My resources may be limited. My prospects might be few. But my Bible says with God, all things are possible. So I don't have to fear. Amen? Fear not. God is still powerful. And then to end up today, fear not. God is still present. If I'm sweating, it's a good sign. Amen? Fear not, God is still present. Look what He said to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that there will be for all people, for unto you in this city... The city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, is born. Fear not, because God is still present. The last one of those fear not statements is given to our shepherds as they're out in the fields tending their flocks that night as Jesus was born. These are the first people to hear the good news that God had come down. Think about it. The glorious announcement didn't go to Pilate. Didn't go to Caesar, didn't go to Herod. Angels weren't dispatched to Rome or Athens, but to the little town of Bethlehem, to the lowest men of stature. And you know, one of Jesus' many titles is Emmanuel, God with us. Prophets wouldn't do, apostles weren't enough, angels wouldn't suffice, God didn't send another miracle, or a sermon, He sent His Son. And you know what that Son would later say? Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And then Hebrews 13, 5, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. You see, at Bethlehem, we see God with us. At Calvary, we see God for us. And then in Pentecost, we see God in us. The one who came to walk our streets and be touched by our infirmities says, I want to make your heart my home. I'll never leave you. You say, well, that's just just preachers blowing hot air. Let me tell you something. When you've been through the valley... And you didn't know how you made it through. And you look back and you see God made a way. You'll know He was with you. During the Vietnam War, there was a gentleman named Lieutenant Colonel Gerald Coffey. He was flying a recon mission over North Vietnam when his plane was shot down. He parachuted to safety, but then he was captured by enemy forces on the ground. And Gerald Coffey spent the next seven years as a POW in the dreaded Hanoi Hilton camp. He wrote a book about his survival called Beyond Survival. And he said that he made a tremendous discovery about God on Christmas Eve, 1968. Here's what happened to this man. There in a tiny, dark, three-foot-by-seven-foot cell, he was stripped of everything that marked his identity. His rank didn't matter. His money didn't matter. His family was taken from him. But he said that for some odd reason that night, one of the guards came by his cell, asked him to open his hand, and the guard dropped a handful of candy in his palm. He said, I, I couldn't understand it because these were the same guys that beat him every day. He said, after I finished sucking on the candy, I took the foil and made it into the shape of a little star. He said, that star reminded me of the Bethlehem star. And I hung it from a shoestring from the ceiling. As I lay down on my cot, he said, I began to think about all the times that my mama had told me the Christmas story he said that night was a turning point because there in that forsaken place I discovered the simple presence of God in the message of Christmas Emmanuel he said removed from all distractions I finally learned about the awesomeness of Christmas I knew that even though I was tired and scared and lonely, God was there with me. We don't have to fear the darkness of this world. We don't have to fear the prognostications of the media and what they tell us is is coming our way in 2021 or the uncertainty of what lies ahead because I have Jesus and Jesus has me. And Christmas is about God's presence in our lives. It's that first step that Jesus took on His way to the cross where He would forever remove that thing which separates us from the Father, and that is sin. He came to our place. He took our place so that He could take us back to His place. And that's the fear nots of Christmas. He's still answering prayer. He's still got a plan. He's still powerful. (laughs) And praise God, He's still present in my life and your life too. I don't know about you, I needed to preach that. And you needed to hear it. Can we have an invitation time as our musicians come? Let's think about this message. Maybe you don't know Jesus like the way that I've been talking about today. Maybe to you, He's just a historical figure or a nice story that Christians tell themselves. But I'm telling you today that He's God and that He's real and that if you will allow it, He will change your life. And you can come to Him today just as you are. In your sin, in your brokenness, in your skepticism, in your problems, you come and you see what He will do with your mess. Let's sing. And let's stand today and ask God to move in our midst. If you need to come today for any reason, you come.